when Paul was winding down his letter to the Ephesian church, he gets to a point where he is describing the most essential elements for spiritual warfare for the Christian, the armor of God. Now, up until this point, he has been talking about relationships. He was talking about husbands and wives. He was talking about parents and children, talking about uh, masters and servants. But then he gets to Ephesians chapter 6, and, and we often focus on the elements of the armor of God, but I, I want you to pay close attention to the reason that we need the armor. Listen to Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? That you may be able to stand. For, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, don't, don't get the wrong idea here. We're not, we're not competing against people, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. If you think for just one moment that we are in competition with other people and that they are our enemies, you've got your eye turned to the wrong enemy. The enemy is not wearing skin. The enemy is someone else completely different. And if we are going to do warfare with them, we need protection. We need spiritual armor. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We have a dangerous undertaking in this thing called Christianity. And we must have adequate protection if we are to engage in the spiritual war that wages all around us. This concept of standing firm is so important to us. It's something that we, we tend to set up heroes in our mind. And this is probably one of the greatest aspects of heroes that we look for. A consistency, a standing firm in the midst of struggle and difficulty. Whether our, comic, whether our heroes come from comic books or movie theater screens or whether they drive ambulances and fire trucks, whether they don a cape or camouflage, we recognize that we need heroes that will stand firm. It's what we admire in others. And Paul calls the Philippian church and us too to stand firm. Listen to Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. You get the idea he likes these folks? <laughs> stand firm. Stand firm. Pray with me. Father, help us to stand firm. Because boy, do we need to. In Jesus' name, amen. Whether you're a minister by vocation or a member uh, of the congregation, every single Christian is called to stand firm. That phrase, stand firm, it occurs 13 times in Scripture. Ten of them, someone's being commanded, stand firm. Two of them, someone is being commended for standing firm. The only time that a human being is neither not told to stand firm or being confirmed that they are standing firm, the only other time in Scripture this phrase is used is in Psalm 89, 28, when it says that God's covenant will stand firm. So the standing firm is something that we're doing because God stands firm. To put it another way, Malachi says in Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not destroyed. God is consistent in his character. He doesn't change with every, every breeze that blows by. He stands firm. And so like him, we ought to stand firm. And we really recognize this in everyday life. I mean, first of all, 
our mission as a church. What's our mission as a church? Share the gospel, right? That's part, that's, that's a major component of it. To make disciples of all the nations. You know, when Jesus gives you a commission, uh, you don't get the right to change it very much. He says, go make disciples. Part of that is sharing the gospel. Part of that is discipling those who are saved. And I would argue that sharing the gospel is making disciples. It's just getting them started on the right path, right? So here we are with this mission as a church. How critical is it that we stand firm then and not give up our mission? See, we need to stand firm because the mission is so important. We also need to stand firm because we live in a culture that thinks that Christianity is just a bumper sticker slogan. Some wishy-washy stand-in for authentic kind of faith. Oh, you believe what you believe and that's fine, but don't bother me with it. Or, or you know, I don't even know what you believe. You just kind of keep it to yourself. It's tucked away. It's, it's like you, you, you light a candle and then you put a basket on top of it. Where are you at? Didn't Jesus say something about that? We need to stand firm because our culture needs us to stand firm. The dam is breaking. The floodwaters of depravity are overwhelming people. And this is not just a situation where the levees are broken in New Orleans and New Orleans is covered and, and everybody else is all right. This is a situation where the entirety of our culture is sinking fast because we are not standing firm. Or if we are, we're standing firm in our closets and not out in public. Our culture needs us to stand firm. We live among a people that crave for something real. You wonder why 18-year-olds go to college and leave the church? I'll tell you why. It's because in years 1 through 18, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times, they saw parents with a faith that wasn't really real. Oh, they went to church, they did some good stuff, and then that was it. I can point you to some dear Christian folks who got their eyes focused on the wrong thing and now they're desperate to see their children come back to the Lord, come to the Lord, because they were focused in the wrong way. Not that they weren't great people, not that they weren't genuine believers, but they just didn't stand firm. They allowed other things to get in the way. I know you can too. I'm going to tell you something. As much as, much as you might think you're going to get blowback for standing, on truth. You will. Take comfort. Right? But you will also see a lot of people's hearts turn. Think about the martyrs. Time after time after time. Standing firm in their faith to the point of death. But we don't mention who, who were the ones lighting the, the blaze underneath them. Who are the ones hanging them upside down on the trees. Who are the ones boiling them or torturing them or killing them. We don't know any of their names, do we? Their history records so many martyrs who stood firm for their faith. So I guess really the question isn't should we stand firm? That, that's an obvious yes. I think I think all of us, anybody, anybody need me to argue that point? Okay, I didn't think so. I guess the question really is how? What do we actually do to stand firm? We know God wants us to stand firm. We know it's our calling. We know that we live in a culture that needs us to stand firm. We know that our mission demands of us that we stand firm. So how do we stand firm? How do we live this life of consistency where we don't back down and we don't quit and we don't surrender? How can we stand firm when the ground under us is like a sandy beach shifting every time a wave comes through? How do we stand firm when everything's in flux? When it's all constantly changing around us, when there's new rules every day or every week. 
to adjust to? How do we how do we stand firm when fears assail us on every side? How do we stand firm? In the last 16 verses of Philippians 3, Paul has been mapping out what's been true in his life. He has counted everything as lost, given it all up for the sake of knowing Christ. He recognizes his own deficiencies and needs, but he presses on ahead anyway toward the prize that lies before him. As he continues in this pursuit of Christian maturity, he calls the Philippians, just as he has and continues to do, to stand firm. And there's a couple of specific ways I think we can, we can see in, this, in the passage before us this morning. First of all, we stand firm when we join together. Philippians 3.17 begins, Brothers, join in imitating me. Now, that word join, that's a collective word. That's a cooperative word. That's a, that's a corporate word. That's not a single word. You can't do that by yourself. You can't join something when there's nobody else involved, right? Now, you can start something, but you can't join something. Somebody's already got to be doing it. And what Paul says, the first thing that he points to here, now, if he wanted to, he could just say, Imitate me. That he did. 1 Corinthians 4.16 I urge you then, be imitators of me. 1 Corinthians 11.1 Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. To the Thessalonians, he says, you know that you're supposed to be imitating me. 2 Thessalonians 3.7 For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Come on. You know you ought to be like me. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Why isn't Paul saying, just imitate Christ. I mean, he kind of says it, right? He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But why doesn't Paul just say, all right, just, just imitate Jesus. Just look at, look at Jesus. I've heard people say things like that. There was a, uh, years ago, there was a Christian pop song. Don't look at me, only look at him. What's wrong with that? Anybody ever see Jesus? I mean, physically see Jesus with your eyes. How many of you have seen your parents with your eyes? You can raise your hands. It's okay. Camera's on me grandparents, aunts, uncles, godly men or women around your life, maybe a Sunday school teacher, maybe someone that just took you into their home, a, a, a friend's parent that, that was just like, hey, come, come on. You've seen that, right? Okay. Is it easier to follow someone you can see? See, here's the thing. We need each other. If we didn't need each other, God wouldn't have done this whole church thing. He wouldn't have. It's too much trouble. These people just can't get it right. They, they, if, if we didn't need each other, if we didn't need to cooperate together, God wouldn't have matter, God wouldn't have bothered with church. There'd have been no need for it. God recognized that every single believer needs people with whom they belong to join together. The whole idea of this epistle is that we are partners together for the gospel. But if we're not, if we're not together, Man, it makes it a lot harder. I mean, the fact of the matter is that having someone else to stand with makes it so much easier to stand firm, doesn't it? You know, you're in the middle of a great big crowd and you're the only one standing. Man, that feels awkward. But you got someone beside you and you feel stronger. Bonhoeffer put it this way. He said, the Christ in the word of your brother is often greater than the Christ in your own heart. What he means is that having someone else to be with you, having someone else who can encourage you and can bid you to stay on it and keep going and, and stand firm in the midst of struggle makes all the difference. When you struggle alone, man, you really struggle. 
But when you can struggle together with someone, that's why accountability is so vital for the Christian. Because it gives you someone to struggle with. I have problems with this, but I know that I've got someone who's got my back. I know I've got someone on my six that's going to help me. That's going to make sure that I, that I do the right things. That's going to make sure that any time the need arises, they're there for me. And I've got their six because I know that they're going to need help struggling with certain types of things too. And so I'm going to protect them. I'm going to help them. We are stronger together. And when we join together, we can stand firm so much easier, so much better than we stand alone. By the way, you really want to know? You really want to know the secret. Someone says, you only have as much tyranny as you're willing to tolerate. You stand up by yourself, you're probably going to get thrown out, arrested, or whatever. You stand up with a whole group of people and say, this ain't right. They can't get all of you. It just, that's the way that our democracy is designed. It's designed so that the lesser magistrate has the ability to appeal to the higher law when that higher law is being broken. And that's a good thing. It's a thing that we ought to use a little more often because what it means is that we don't have to be tyrannized. And it's the same. The same is true in a spiritual sense, if not more true. We have a much higher law in God's law. We do not have to be victims of tyranny because we have a God who is sovereign over all. Now, does that mean we go fight? Does that mean we take up arms and we start killing people? No. What that means, though, is that we do things the right way. What it means is that we stand firm on truth. We don't allow people to subject us to lies that we know are lies and they know are lies. We stand on truth. We don't allow people to cast a narrative that is directly in opposition to God's word. We stand on God's truth. We don't allow our lives to become out of sync with what the scripture says they ought to be. We stand firm in the truth. We value life. We value all of life. Not just before it's born, but after too. We value marriage. We don't just value marriage when it's convenient, when it's a man and a woman. We value marriage when it's a man and a woman that are seeking a divorce for no good reason whatsoever. We value marriage enough to train people and help people to know what marriage is and how it works best, how God has designed it to be. We value marriage. We value it all the way. We value many different things but we only go part way with it. No, we stand firm on the truth and we value them the way God does. It's always easier to stand together. You and me together, man, we could really do something good. In fact, it ain't even just about a political sort of a stance. It's about a spiritual one. You see, this mission that God has given us is so important that we have to do it together. How many people are there in the world? I don't have time to tell everybody. Even, even if I had enough time, I wouldn't have enough voice. My legs would give out. And regardless what um, Google Maps may have used to say about this, you can't just swim across the Atlantic Ocean. If you put in an address in England, it would tell you to swim across the Atlantic Ocean. I can't do that. I think somebody was being funny when they put that into the program. We need each other to do what God has called us to do. We cannot stand firm if we're just by ourselves. We, we stand firm when we join together. I, yeah, I've told you about the sequoia trees, right? Hundreds of feet tall. Roots go 10 or 15 feet, but they wrap around each other and they, they join together so that it's one organism. 
the whole sequoia force, it's all one organism. That's how we ought to be. One body, many members, standing firm. We stand firm when we join together. We also stand firm when we follow good examples. You know, as I said, it, it, it works so much better when we've, when we've got someone else. Part of the reason is when we got good someone else's. When we got someone else who exhibits those qualities that we need to do. Uh, look in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep your eyes on them. So I think you've heard me tell the story before of the VBS. The pastor's wife is in the back of the room and she is doing the motions and every kid is staring directly at her. They don't see anybody else. They're not looking at anybody else. They're only looking at her and just trying to copy what she's doing. You see, when we follow a good example, we can do better ourselves. You ever heard the expression, do as I say, not as I do? It doesn't work very well, does it? Maybe sometimes, one out of a hundred, one out of a thousand, something like that. They may actually get it the right way, but you know how much more effective is do as I do than don't do as I do. Jesus taught that way. He didn't say, run along and do this. He didn't say, I'm going to do it this way, but, but you can't do it this way, so you're going to have to do it different. He didn't say, well, this technically isn't the right way, but I'm going to go ahead and do it now. You just stick to the right way. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say? What were his first words to disciples? Follow me. Learn from me. As I have done, so you also should do. You see the difference there? It's not do as I say, not as I do. Jesus is like, here, let me show you how to do. Let me give you a good example. Let me, let me show you the right way. They come to him when, when they can't cast out a demon from a, from a particular individual. And Jesus is able to cast them out. And they say, why couldn't we cast them out? And he says, this kind only comes out by fasting and prayer. In other words, you don't just need to copy the actions I'm doing. You need to copy the way that I'm living. You need to fast and you need to pray. You need to do those kinds of things to have the kind of power that I have. Do you see? It's not like, it's not like, all right, this is what you need to do. Now I'm going to go over here and do my own thing. It's do as I do. We follow good examples. We stand firm. Part because, well, we have confidence. I see them standing firm. And I see what God's doing in them. And I realize that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. That sounds familiar. Where have I heard that before? Oh yeah, it's in this, it's in this book of Philippians, isn't it? I see that. I see their example. And I can do what they're doing. Maybe I can't do it as well, but I can learn. I can try. I can follow their lead. Not only does it give us confidence. By the way, um, it, it's not really until we count the cost and we realize the price that we're going to pay to follow Christ that we are able to stand for. You see, a lot of times we'll get into this position of, well, I'm going to stand up. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do. And then you start and you realize how hard it is and the temptation comes to quit. Right? You ever done that? You know, oh, yeah, yeah, this bathroom renovation shouldn't take but a couple of days. My parents did that. My mom was like, yeah, you can do all this, Dad. You know, she was telling him, okay, yeah, you do this. And let's see, what kind of tile do I want? I want this little tiny uh, two-inch square mosaic tile. My dad hated that stuff. I don't blame him. I hated it for him. And he, he'd murmur sometimes, and she just doesn't know how much work this takes. And she didn't. You see, it's not until you know the hardship that you can really say, I'm willing to pay the price. It's not until you sit down and count the cost that you know whether you can afford it or whether you want to afford it. The same is true in standing firm. 
We cannot stand firm until we've counted the cost. And by watching other men who count the cost and deem it to be not nearly as pricey as they're willing to pay for their master, boy, that helps us know when we see the cost, that helps us know that we're willing to pay it too. Because compared to Christ, it's all a hill of beans anyway. Having good examples is also true in the mimicry. I take Taekwondo. One of the things I do is I look to black belts. How are they standing? What, what are the particulars of their stance? How are they forming this block? How are they doing this move? What are they looking for? How is their hand positioned in this particular movement? In the mimicry of those small details is how I'm getting better. Now, I'm a long way from being better, but I'm on the road, right? And it's the same, same thing spiritually. By watching those who are good examples, we can mimic the small details and the big details so that we can be more and more and more like Christ. I see my dad doing certain things and it sticks in my mind. I need to do those things like that too. I see my mom doing certain things and it sticks in my mind. I need to do things like that too. I see godly men and women that are carrying on certain spiritual disciplines and it bids me to carry those same disciplines as well. When we have good examples, we learn. We learn by watching them. We learn by listening to them. We learn by acting like them. And it makes us better. We stand firm when we follow good examples. We also stand firm, though, when we avoid bad examples. Boy, aren't we, aren't we lucky that we have lots of bad examples. There's plenty of folks to look around and say, uh, I'm not going to do that. Sometimes even those same people that are good examples in one way are bad examples in another way. And we learn from them by not doing that. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, it breaks Paul's heart that he has to say what he's about to say. Walk as enemies of the gospel, of the cross, excuse me, of Christ. They're enemies of the gospel too. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Just their good examples to follow, their bad examples to avoid too. And sometimes we have a hard time telling which is which. Other, uh, a few weeks ago, I was in a restaurant, saw a little baby. He was looking over at some other little kids. And they were doing some stuff. I forget what they were doing. They were acting, I don't know, just doing something. Kids do play it in some kind of way. And I look over at the baby, and the baby is trying to imitate them. Trying to do what they're doing. Because that looks fun. Sometimes it's a good thing. You know, when your two-year-old comes in and they want to brush their teeth because they see big brother or big sister brushing their teeth. Hey, that's great. Yeah. You're doing something, and so the kid wants to do it too, you know? I think, I think it was you one time that we, like, shaved together, something like that. Yeah? He got the shaving cream. He didn't get the shaving, you know, the, the thing, but he got the shaving cream. He, he got to shave with me. Sometimes it's something bad, like when that same little toddler comes around saying words that they shouldn't be saying because big brother or big sister was saying them. Oh, that's, that's a lot harder to deal with. But it's the same principle. Monkey see, monkey do, right? We have to distinguish between good and bad. So Paul lays out the bad examples. They walk as enemies of the cross. They oppose the gospel rather than working for it. They're hostile toward anything to do with God's plan of salvation. In fact, they hate the cross so much hate all that it stands for so much that they'll go to any length to destroy it. They're doomed to destruction. They've got no hope for a better future. They're either blind to their own folly and the results that are coming from it, 
or they just simply refuse to surrender to God. They turn their backs to him, put their noses in the air in defiance against the Almighty. They follow the, the base appetites without regard for what's good and holy. If they could find a cheap thrill or a fleeting bit of pleasure, they'll pay any cost to get it. They boast in their sinfulness. They proudly display their egregious errors as though they're trophies to be admired. They set their mind on things that are temporal rather than on things that last for eternity. They don't store up treasures in heaven. They heap up their treasures on earth, and they still find themselves empty on the inside. Don't follow these bad examples, says Paul, and you'll be able to stand firm. You see, the real problem here is their focus is wrong. If you want to stand firm, you must have the right focus. Those that are bad examples are the wrong focus. Good examples are only so good as they point you to Christ. By the way, those superheroes, I'm going to tell you a secret. While people may be heroic, they're not superheroes. Only God, only God himself is the one worthy of adulation. Everyone else, sometimes we need attaboy, sometimes we need pat on the back, sometimes we need to be encouraged and lifted up. But ultimately, it all goes to him. Otherwise, you're going to get let down. Lastly, and that gets to the last point. We stand firm when we rely on Jesus Christ. Paul says in verses 20 and 21, our citizenship is in heaven. We're not, what do you say in 18? They walk as enemies of Christ. We don't walk as enemies in Christ. We're his neighbors, fellow citizens with him. We're not enemies of Christ. We're the ones in the mansion down the street, Golden Street. From it, we await a savior. You see, for them, their end was destruction. Our end is heaven. Their God is their belly. Our God is our Savior who will transform our lowly body. See, the shame that they find glorious, we find our glory in what God is going to do in us and what He's already done in His Son who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. We find our glory in what God is working out in His ultimate plan. Not in the things that are shameful and disgraceful by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. That same power that makes him sovereign over the universe makes him sovereign over the events of the universe too. Just as Christ is the epitome of grace and truth, he is also the ultimate example to follow. As citizens of God's kingdom, we find our goal, our purpose, our mission, our life, our boasting, our fulfillment, our strength, our solace, our everything in Jesus Christ alone. That faith enables, that faith in him is what enables us. No, 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 no. It doesn't enable us. It causes us to stand firm. If you want to be a person who remains consistent in the midst of struggles, there's no other way to have that kind of testimony than to have the testimony of I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Faith in Christ is the core element of standing firm. That's why. In verse 1, he says, stand firm thus in the Lord. So are you standing firm? Are you consistent in your walk with God? Are you not just reading the Bible every day? More than that. Do you stand firm in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints? Do you stand firm on the solid rock, or are you still on the shifting sands of worldly affections being constantly eroded underneath you by the waves of popular opinion? God's called us to stand firm, but you can only stand as firm as what you're standing on. The only sure foundation is Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to stand firm in this time of invitation. Help us to find our feet firmly planted on you. 
whether we need to know you because we've never given you our hearts, or whether we already know you and we need to be encouraged to stand, to continue standing, to stand boldly for you. Father, wherever we might be, you do the work that's needed in our hearts. Help us to be obedient to you. In Christ's name, amen.